This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Igeret HaTshuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Today is Hey Av, the yard site of the Ari. Right, the, the lion, the lion, Rabbi Yisra Gloria, Rabbi Isaac Gloria, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, the Einstein of Kabbalah, who uh, at the end of his life lived in Tzvat, passed away very young, but he single-handedly transformed Jewish life, and Hasidus illuminates a lot of the Kabbalah, and the, the Arizal said that beginning in his day and age is a mitzvah to publicize these teachings because up until his day and age there were limitations not everyone could study Kabbalah you had to be uh, the age of 40 and you had to be know the whole Talmud backwards and forwards and you had to be married and you had to be I mean by the time you're done with all the conditions it would exclude <laughs> most of us <laughs> um, but he said in the t- his day and age all these restrictions were removed now it's a mitzvah to publicize it. And there was an active campaign trying to get yeshiva students to study Kabbalah. There was actually a whole campaign. They would go clandestinely to all these centers of learning and trying to get all these scholars engaged in the study of Kabbalah to appreciate that you can't just live with bread alone. Man cannot live on bread alone, which refers to the revealed part of the Torah, the dry the, the technical, the mechanics of Torah, a person needs some soul, a person needs some flavor in life, a person needs some, the soul of the Torah which brings flavor to everything. And that's, uh, and this took on even more urgent, with more urgency with the coming of the Baal Shem Tov, who publicized the Kabbalah and made it accessible and available, with Hasidus, made it available and accessible to the masses, to the simple Jew. And the Alter Rebbe, who enabled us to really get into all of this, the tree of life, by explaining it and articulating it and bringing it on a personal level, personalizing it, and giving us the psychology of the soul, the psychology of Kabbalah. So this is a very auspicious day, and we are chapter 9, middle of chapter 9, in the letter of Teshuvah, page 1095. Now he's getting back to what he started earlier. In chapter 4, he quoted the Zohar. The Zohar says that the Shuva does not help for the sin, for sexual sin, the sins of wasteful omissions. That's what the Zohar says. The question is, that, as Maimonides quotes, there's nothing that stands in the way of Teshuvah. This is halacha. So how could the Zohar say that the sexual sins, Teshuvah does not help? We know for a fact there's nothing in the world, there's no sin in the world that repentance doesn't help. 
and he quoted the Reitra's Chachma, who explains that the Zohar means that the lower level of Teshuva is not effective, is not enough to achieve an atonement. For that, you need a higher level of Teshuva. So now after he's done explaining at great length, and that's where he began in chapter 4, explaining the two levels of Teshuva, breaking down the word Teshuva, which means Tosh of hay, restoring the hay, and then there, there are two hays in God's name, the last hay and the first hay, the second letter and the fourth letter, so restoring the fourth letter, that's the lower level of Teshuva, and now we finish explaining how you restore the higher hay, the higher level of Teshuva. So now he goes back, and now we'll understand what the Zohar means. That the only way to do teshuva for the sin of wasteful emissions is the higher level of teshuva. Since the violation of the covenant through wasteful emissions, to say nothing of incestuous relations or other unions prohibited by the Torah or the sages, for the words, the prohibitions of the sages are more grave than even the words, the prohibition of the Torah, because the blemish in the mind. Therefore, his reputation is <coughs> secured by engaging in the study of Torah, which derives from wisdom. And this explains why it is stated in chapter 4 that only Teshuva Elah, engaging in the study of Torah in awe and love of the Holy One, blessed be is effective in remedying this, remedying this sin. All other sins are sins of the heart. The heart is tempted and pulls you in self-destructive directions. And therefore, it's enough to do teshuva by resolving that you're going to faithfully and loyally serve Hashem. So first, you disrespected Hashem, you disconnected yourself, you threw off the yoke of heaven, you went a while, you ran away, you deserted. And here, you take upon yourself to be a faithful and loyal servant of Hashem. And especially if you awaken your heart, you arouse your heart, which is the quick way and the direct way to effectively, to achieve an effective teshuva. So you've undone the damage. The damage came from the heart. The heart pulled you in the wrong direction. And now you regret. You realize your mistake. You regret what you've done. And now your heart is, you've resolved to connect with Hashem. So that's enough for all other sins. The problem with sexual sins is that it affects the mind. it comes, it directly affects the whole person. Sexuality is not a detail in a person's life. It's not just an, a certain, an aspect of your life. It touches your core. It's your essence. It's the only part in your life that engages every fiber of your being and every bone in your body. 100%. You can't, otherwise it's impossible. You can't be intimate unless you're 100% totally focused and concentrated. Every part of you is totally focused and concentrated. So it's not just a detail of your life. This is one area in your life that affects your whole being. All other sins, the disconnect in a certain sense is very superficial. Because here you were a servant of Hashem, 
and you deserted. You were unfaithful. So you've severed the connection of servant, master, soldier, army, whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. But you've severed that connection. You were a faithful employee, and then you, uh, you know, you were, you were not living up to your responsibilities and obligations, or you threw off the yoke of your responsibility, so you severed that connection. But a Jew has a deeper connection, Tasha. And the, the, that's represented by the th- first three letters of Hashem's name, Yud Vav, versus the He. The He represents the most external connection. We are Hashem's servants, we are Hashem's soldiers, faithful and loyal servants and soldiers. And there, there, there could be a disconnect. The higher levels, the first three letters of Hashem's name, Yud Vav, represents a much deeper connection. We're the children of Hashem. Even if a child misbehaves, you can't disconnect yourself. The child remains a child. It's very painful. Because the child is so connected. It's not a stranger. And when the child rebels, it's the most extremely painful. But you can't sever that parent-child relationship. It's much deeper. It's not, nothing external could sever that relationship. So the Yud Vav represents a deeper relationship of a Jew. So even when a Jew sins, it only affects our surface. The external it doesn't affect that deeper relationship we have with Hashem. The exception is sexual sin. Because when a person sins, wasteful emissions and how much more so in his actual intimacy, prohibited, prohibited intimacy, there it affects the whole person. So the sin engages the whole person and involves the whole person. It's not just external, superficial. It's not like any other sin. It affects... The whole person is engaged and involved. So it means it affects the mind. The mind is much more than the heart. The mind is the command and control center of the whole being, of the whole body, of the whole person. The whole person is concentrated in the mind. The mind senses the whole. So it affects the whole entire person. So the disconnect runs much deeper. It's much more intimate. The, uh, the unfaithfulness, it's much more personal. You know, husband and wife can have an argument. Okay, fine. But if there's unfaithfulness, it's, it's much deeper. It's not just... <laughs> It's not just a detail, an aspect. It affects the whole, the whole being, the whole relationship is affected. It's much more profound, it's much deeper. So therefore, you can't just do teshuva and say, okay, I, now I'm a servant, now I'm obeying, now I'm listening. I'm yours and I'm faithful and I'm loyal. And uh, the, the hurt, the damage, the mistrust, the disconnect, it's, it's a total disconnect. It's much more severe. This is the one area in our life which is the most important. That's why in Judaism, the Holy of Holies in Judaism is our bedroom, not the synagogue. That's why people who divorce their intimate life from the rest of... I want to be a Jew, but except in this area. This area, I want to go against the Torah. I, I want to live an alternative lifestyle. But I'll be faithful in everything else. Just this area. Listen, nobody is perfect. We live in an imperfect world. Nobody is perfect. 
So, okay, one little detail. But I'm doing 612 mitzvah. There's one little detail that I'm not doing. No, 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 you don't understand. It's all the others that are external and superficial. This is not a detail. This is the one area which affects the whole essence of our relationship to Hashem. So they completely don't get, they don't realize, don't appreciate the effect and the damage that's done and the effect that affects the whole entire person, disconnects the whole entire person. So much so the Zohar says it's so powerful that truva doesn't help. Regular truva helps for all 612 mitzvah, except for this, this area. So anyone who proposes such a position, you know one thing, they have not, never studied Tanya. <laughs> and they never studied the inner parts of the Torah. And they're clueless. It's sad, it's tragic, but they're completely clueless. And it's a giveaway. It's one area which gives away that they completely misunderstood everything about Judaism. They completely missed the whole point of Judaism, period. This is not a detail. This is touches, gets to the heart, the crux, the essence of what Judaism is in which is a marriage and relationship with Hashem. If you have a marriage and relationship with Hashem, if you're telling Hashem, I'm going to give you everything I have, except this area, this area belongs to me, and this area, you know, just butt out, mix out. (laughs) Don't guide me, don't instruct me, don't teach me, don't tell me how to live my life in the bedroom. I'll be in shul, I'll do everything, but keep out of my private life, my intimate life. That person completely misunderstood doesn't get anything in the Torah. Completely missed the whole point. There was a great Hasidic master, the Ruzhner, the Heiliger Ruzhner. He was called the Holy Ruzhner Rebbe, Rabbi Saul of Ruzhner. And he was once a Hasid who was very careful about the matzah, that he eats on Pesach, he was looking for matzah shmura. And the Rebbe expressed himself very sharply. He says, shmura... He said in Yiddish, Shmura, that happened in the Hazen. Shmura, a person has to be where it counts, in intimate matters. Matzah, Shmura, not Shmura, that's not, that's, that's not where it matters. It matters is where a person has to be careful, is where it really matters is private and intimate. And, and this is really the, really the whole point why the Alter Rebbe wrote the letter of Teshuvah. This seems to be the vulnerable spot of our generation because not only don't we appreciate what's involved here, but if anything, society tells you, every message society tells you is on the contrary. It's a mitzvah, it's a holy mitzvah to be promiscuous. It's like a mitzvah, it's like the, the principle. Some people even put it in the cloak of holiness. This became a mitzvah. Not only is it uh, okay, but it actually became a holy mitzvah. This is what children are taught. This is what psychologists, psychology 101 tells their patients, you know, that it's okay and it's wonderful and it's healthy and uh, there's no problem and the more the better and it's normal and it's healthy. The exact opposite of what Judaism tells us. Judaism tells us nothing could be further than the truth. There's nothing that could do more damage to a person. There's nothing that could affect your soul more in a negative way. There's nothing that could... Maimonides says, Maimonides says it leads to... It leads to... Um, it affects the mind. He says even physically, it affects the mind. You know, maybe a study should be done if this is the ultimate cause of Alzheimer's and 
but it completely affects the mind in the most in a very negative way, physically, not just spiritually. So everything that society says on this area is 100% wrong and is leading a generation, a young, vulnerable generation, really harming, doing unbelievable damage and harm, you know, reducing the most intimate, the most powerful, the most sacred part of our life and reducing it to nothingness, like chicken soup and Coca-Cola. and It's like it means nothing. It, 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 it's nothing. Nothing can be further than the truth. It's so powerful and so profound and affects us so deeply and it comes from such a deep place. And it's the only part of our life that really touches us so deeply. So much so, the Zohar says that the only atonement you can achieve for this is only through regular truva doesn't help. We need a higher level of truva. And he says, what's the higher level of truva? Since it affected the mind, so the only way you can make up for it is also by engaging the mind, which we just finished explaining at great length the last few classes. Alter Rebbe explained that it's through studying of Torah. The higher level of truva is by studying of Torah. And the type of, and the studying of Torah that fully engages your mind. We're not talking about superficially studying Torah, but studying of Torah that fully engages your energy and fully engages your mind. You know, as Maimonides writes, he says, although a person is obligated to study Torah any time, by day and night, but nevertheless, the main Torah that a person accomplishes is with the Torah that you study at night. That's, what, that's how you merit the crown of Torah. What Rimanadis means on a, on, a, on a deeper level is that it's at night. All these great Torah scholars, all these great rabbis who had this powerful energy. So this energy is going to be used one way or the other. So either you're going to be clubbing all night or you're going to be studying Torah all night. <laughs> That's basically the bottom line. These are, these are people who are very much alive powerful energies, vibrant, alive. So that's your choice. So what the rabbis did is they sublimated this energy. They took this powerful energy that other people used to, to go completely mindless and numb themselves out and just go clubbing and other things, etc. You know, to spell it out. And here, instead, the rabbis took all that energy and instead used it to fully engage their minds in the study of Torah. And that's why they became great. That's why they were merited the crown of Torah. They were able to get to the essence of Torah. So this is the higher level of Teshuvah. When the study of Torah completely engages you. And that affects the mind and affects the whole person. The whole person is completely absorbed in the studying of Torah. Studying of Torah affects the whole mind. It absorbs the whole, your whole mind. When you do a mitzvah, you're obeying. You're connecting, you're obeying, but it doesn't engage the whole person. The studying of Torah engages the whole mind, especially when it fully absorbs you and you become completely absorbed in the study of Torah. And you study to the maximum of your ability and you, you study deeply and you delve deeply into it and it exhausts you and it tires you out. That's why it says Torah makes the Torah scholars, it tires them out, it exhausts them because we're talking about proper Torah study which fully engages you. And it's like you eat it, and you drink it, and you dream it, and you sleep on it, and, and, and it, it takes all your energy. 
So the type of Torah study that takes all your energy and taxes you and really challenges you until you exert yourself in the study of Torah. And the Arizal, the Arizal himself, today is the yard side of the Arizal. The Arizal, besides being the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, the Einstein of Kabbalah, the Arizal is also one of the greatest Torah scholars that ever lived. The famous commentary on the, on the, uh, on the Talmud, the Shittim Mukabetzis, was actually a collaboration. The author studied with Arizal. And Arizal, it says, would study halacha. He would study Torah, the revealed part of the Torah, halacha. He would study it until he physically sweated. He studied it with such concentration until he was physically sweating. That's how concentrated he was when he studied. And I think he would find like eight paths, eight different ways to understand every halacha. He would, he would like study it in such depth. That's the type of study that we're discussing. So a type of study that exhausts you, that engages you, that taxes you, that pushes you to the limit. And then, of course, when you're studying Torah on that level, you have no time to sin. You have no temptation to sin. You're too busy. Your mind is engaged. You're fully engaged. You're fully you're occupied. When you occupy, there's no room for anything else. You know, when there's light, there's no room for darkness. So this is the tikkun. This is the only teshuva. The only way to make up for this, for this disruption and the disconnection and the, the negative energy that was brought about through sexual sin, wasteful emissions, etc. That's why he says that the only teshuva is by engaging in the Torah. We therefore find in Tanakh Velio a man commits a sin and is liable to death before the Almighty. For the, for the above mentioned sin carries with it the punishment of death by divine agency. What shall he do and live? If he was accustomed to studying one page of the written law, let him study two. If he was accustomed to studying one chapter of the oral law, let him study two chapters. He says that how do you make up for the sin? So, firstly, we see from the Tanakh Velio which is written by Elijah the prophet. It's interesting. Usually it doesn't... Why does he have to mention this, where the source is? Elijah the prophet. Because Elijah the prophet, his specialty was... He was called the angel of bris, of the covenant. Elijah the prophet, the Talmud says, is Pinchas. Pinchas and Elijah are one and the same, at least the reincarnation. And what did... We just read in the Torah. What did Pinchas sacrifice his life for? He risked his life for standing up for the sanctity. He took the life of the prince of the tribe of Shimon, Zimri, who had relations with a non-Jewish woman. He violated the sanctity of the bris, a sexual crime. And Pinchas risked his life and took the life of the woman together with Zimri, the prince, while they were cohabited together. And with that, he saved the Jewish people. So Pinchas is the one who sacrificed and stood up for the sanctity of the bris. That's why he quotes the source. Where's the source? Tana de Velio. And what does Tana de Velio teach us? That if a person sin, and he deserves to die, like it says of a person for wasteful omissions, you, you lose your life. That, that's why it's called onanism, because that's what happened in the Torah. Onan lost his life because for the sin of wasteful omission, the son of Judah. So it says, what should he do and he should live? Which is a puzzling question. What do you mean, what should he do and he should live? You do teshuva. There's nothing in the world that teshuva doesn't help. 
So what do you mean? What, do you, what should you do when you live? Do teshuva. What's the question? What do we see from this question? That there's a type of sin where teshuva doesn't help. Teshuva helps for 612 mitzvahs, but not for this. For sexual sin, teshuva doesn't help. Regular teshuva is not enough. He still deserves to die. So what should you do if you should live? So he says you should study Torah. That's exactly the point that he's bringing. That there are certain sins that the only teshuva is what the Zohar says, the higher level of teshuva, which engages the mind, involves the mind. You should study Torah. Even if you were, it means if you were studying before, you have to double. If till now you had a certain amount of time you should study, double the time amount you should study. If you were studying qualita- qualitatively wise, with a half, half a brain, t- half a hand tied behind the, <laughs> half, of your, half of your brain tied behind the, whatever the expression is, so then you have to study even deeper. If you studied one page, study two pages. And then he, and then he continues. You study one chapter, study two chapters. One chapter is referring to the written Torah. If you study one chapter in Torah, study double. If you study one page of Talmud, study twice. Because it's not enough to study the written Torah, because the written Torah doesn't fully engage your mind. The written Torah, you know, is, is, is a mystery. It's, it's the oral Torah, the Talmud, that engages the mind fully. It's the oral Torah that we have to understand. The written Torah, you can make a blessing even if you don't understand what you're saying. Just reading the Torah. If someone is called up to the Torah, even if he doesn't understand a word, he makes the blessing of the Torah. You don't even have to understand what you're saying. Because the truth is, even if you do understand, you don't really understand anything. It's, it's, all, it's all Kabbalah, it's mysteries, it's the names of Hashem, it's the whole Torah is divine, it's holy, it's godly. But the oral tradition, the oral Torah, the Talmud, you're not allowed to make a blessing unless you understand what you're saying. You can't just read it, it's holy, and let me just read it. If you read it, you don't have to make a blessing. It's not called studying Torah. The written Torah is considered studying Torah just reading it, even if you don't understand it. The oral Torah is not considered studying Torah unless you understand it. So the whole point of the oral Torah is to understand it. That's why he brings both examples. Read the written Torah and read double the amount that you used to read before you sin. And also the oral Torah, read double the amount that you used to sin. The question is, why is a sin punishable by death? Continue, why is a sin? Why is a sin punishable by death by divine agency, such as the sin of wasteful omission, rectifiable by an increase in Torah study? This resembles a rope that is severed and then re-knotted. The sight of the knot is twofold and fourfold thicker than the rest of the rope. So it is with the rope of God's heritage, with the soul's bond with its source. If this relationship was severed by sin, then repent- repentance must re-knot the cord doubly and fourfold. And this is accomplished through the study of the Torah. Okay, so first you had a rope. The rope was okay. Then you cut the rope. Now, to bring the rope together, you got to tie it. you got to tie the two ends together. That's already double. The place that you tie the knot is doubly thick than it was before. A regular rope is, is a certain thickness. When you tie the two ends together, it's doubly thick than it was before. But, you don't just tie one knot. You tie two knots. In the laws of Shabbos, you're not allowed to tie on Shabbos. It says if you tie one knot, you just make one, one tie, even though you plan to leave it there, you don't plan to reopen it, it's okay, you're allowed to. It's not considered a knot. When is it considered a knot? When it's a double knot. When it's a double knot, now you're securing the knot. Now you know that this knot is going to last. So, on the simple, simple level, this explains what Tanah Velio says. You learn two chapters in the written Torah and you, two, two pages in the Talmud. 
So that's a double knot. You have to double both your studying of the written Torah and double your studying of the oral Torah. That's a double knot. But the Rebbe explains, based on his father's commentary on the his father's notes on, on the Tanya, that really with this analogy, the Alter Rebbe is explaining to us something very profound. Because the question remains. Alter Rebbe asked in the fourth chapter in the Tanya. He says, "How could you say?" How could the Zohar say that tshuva does not help for the sin of wasteful emission and how much more so for illegal intimate relationships when it says, the Maimonides says halachically, there's nothing in the world that stands in the way of teshuva. Nothing means nothing, including the sin of wasteful emission or sexual sin. So how, could, how could the Zohar go against halacha? That, that doesn't make sense. It's one Torah. And you can't answer, well, this is the exception. But Maimonides doesn't give any exceptions. He says, absolutely nothing stands in the way of Teshuvah. And this, Alter Rebbe addresses and explains with this analogy. He says, the first level of Teshuvah is like the first knot. The second level of Teshuvah is like the knot on top of the knot. It's like one layer on top of the other layer. That's why the double thickness, kafal of a One knot is already double the thickness of the rope the way it was before, and now you're making a second knot so it's double, quadruple thickness of the way it was before. Because every knot is both sides together. So you have one, two, and then another knot, three, four. So you have four times the thickness without the sin. So without the sin, you have a regular rope. Now that you sin, you have four times the thickness. The double knot. What's the point of the, of the second knot? To make sure that the first knot doesn't unravel. What secures the first knot, the second? And this is what Alter Rebbe is saying. Of course you need to show them. Because the question is, Alter Rebbe just explained at great length. What does the first teshuva accomplish, the lower level teshuva accomplish? When a person sins, you create a barrier between you and Hashem. So you can't even get close to Hashem unless you remove this barrier. So if you're still, if you're still, if you're thrown off the yoke of heaven, and you went a while, and you deserted, and you were unfaithful, and you rebelled, and you, you acted treasonously against the king, you can't even get your foot into the door. The first level is you have to be contrite, and you have to come back and say, I'm back. Take me back in. From now on, I'm your faithful and loyal servant. And it's an honor to, to be your, your, your servant. So that's, without that, you can't go further. After you've already done Teshuvah, and after you've removed the barriers, and you've gotten rid of the negative, now comes the higher level of Teshuvah, to complete the Teshuvah. Now your soul wants to restore and return to the, the way it was before it descended into the body. You want to become completely unified with Hashem. And the way to become completely unified with Hashem is by studying Torah, the higher level of Teshuvah. But how could the Zohar say that you can do Teshuvah for the sin of wasteful ambitions or sexual sin? You go straight to the higher level of Teshuvah? without doing the background teshuvah, without doing the first basic elementary steps of teshuvah? If you're just going to study Torah, but you're not going to do the basic level of teshuvah, how can, how can you... Can, there's a barrier between you and Hashem. So that's after Rebbe is using this analogy, and he brought the Tanah Dvei Yo. 
and it's using the analogy of the rope, that of course we're talking about here that first you need the lower level of Teshuvah. And it's the lower level of Teshuvah that breaks the barrier between you and Hashem. But in the case of wasteful emission, the case of sexual sin, the lower level of Teshuvah is not enough, just like in the case of the knot. How do I secure that knot? By adding a second knot. So when a person affected his mind, affected his whole relationship with Hashem through that sexual sin, how do I secure this level of Teshuvah, the lower level of Teshuvah? It's only by having the higher level of Teshuvah. So what, what is the Teshuvah? What accomplishes the breaking of the barriers? The lower level of Teshuvah. And that's why the Maimonides is correct. As Allah states, there is nothing in the world that stands in the way of Teshuvah. Because in the case of this sin, of a sexual sin, surely you need the lower level of Teshuvah. We're not, tell, we're not telling a person that you don't need the lower level of Teshuvah. Of course you need the lower level of Teshuvah. But in order to secure the lower level of Teshuvah, the lower level of Teshuvah is not enough. In order to secure, since the treachery and the treason affected your whole person, it affected your mind, therefore it's not enough to say to, to, to Teshuvah with your heart. And to say, Hashem, I'm faithful, and I'm loyal, and I'm dedicated, and I'm devoted, it's all very nice. But this was very personal. This was very intimate. You were unfaithful. So I need a much deeper trip. Now I need your mind fully engaged, your soul fully engaged, your whole being fully connected and fully engaged with Hashem. And it's only that that secures the lower level of trip. It's the second knot that guarantees the first knot. And that's why, by the way, he doesn't say... He doesn't say that the rectification of the sin, of sexual sin, is through the higher level of teshuvah. No, because the rectification is the lower level of teshuvah. But he's saying that he needs the study of Torah, which is the aspect of the higher level of teshuvah. Because it's really the lower level of teshuvah that accomplishes the rectification. But in order to guarantee, in order to secure, in order to make sure that that teshuvah is genuine, you need the studying of the Torah. It's only when your mind becomes fully engaged. Because if you're just going to devote your heart and just going to devote, dedicate yourself, but if you don't fully engage in Torah, it's not going to, it's not going to be effective. It's not going to... The teshuvah is not genuine. It won't last. Our generation, the antidote is, is to be a lot of, a lot of Torah studies. <laughs> to open a lot of koilulim, a lot of yeshivot, and a lot of heavy-duty Torah study. It's the only, the only answer to truly do teshuva and truly connect with Hashem. And, um, okay, continue. Thus scripture states, Thus scripture states, through kindness and truth is sin forgiven, and there is no truth but Torah. Okay, so here we see again. He says, sin is forgiven through Torah study. What do you mean sin is forgiven through Torah study? Sin is forgiven through Teshuvah. You do Teshuvah, sin is forgiven. Teshuvah, Yom Kippur, pain and suffering, the ultimate purification, death. What do you mean? Torah? achieves atonement. Yes, Torah is the higher level of Teshuvah. So Torah achieves the ultimate level of Teshuvah. The soul reconnects to Hashem and the level it was connected before it descended into the body. But what does that have to do with atonement of sin? But here he's saying that it's the Torah that achieves an atonement of sin. 
Prophet, what is he referring to? This is referring to the sin again, sexual sin. And the only atonement, to achieve atonement for sexual sin, that the tshuva is not enough, the tshuva has to be accompanied. Chesed, kindness, but also accompanied by emes, by Torah. It's only when the tshuva is accompanied by intense, very deep, and very intense, and very engaging Torah study, that's the only thing that could accomplish this atonement. Yes, it is through the study of Torah, the sin is forgiven. Similarly, on the statement in Scripture that the sin of the house of Eli will not be atoned by sacrifices and offerings, the Gemara comments, by sacrifices and offerings will the sin of the house of Eli not be atoned, but it will be atoned through the study of Torah and through the deeds. Actually, the sin of the children of Eli says, Hashem punished Eli and he said that none of your children will be the high priests. Eli himself was one of the uh, transmitters of the Torah. He was one of the judges, the last judge before Shmuel the prophet. And at the ripe age of 98, 98 or 99, he, um, when the ark was captured from the Mishkan, the tabernacle, that's when he lost his life. But Hashem told him, through Shmuel, Shmuel was a youngster, and Hashem spoke to Shmuel, the prophet, and he prophesies about Eli, he says that your children, none of your children will be high priests because of the sins of your sons. And the, the prophet says, what were the sins of the sons? That they used to sleep with the women who used to come to offer the sacrifices after their birth. The Talmud qualifies it, doesn't mean they literally slept with them, but because they would uh, tarry, they would take their time by bringing their offering sacrifices, so therefore they would separate them from their husbands. They took their, their good time, they were lazy, they were, you know, they were neglectful, and it became like a, their personal fiefdom, the temple. So they took their good time, so therefore they, they couldn't get back to their husbands, and therefore it was as if, since they deprived them of their husbands, to have relations with their husbands, they used to travel to the temple and didn't get back home because they waited. So it was considered as if they slept with them. But, but since it was like a sexual sin, and therefore he said that's why the punishment is so severe, and... Offerings and sacrifices, what usually works for an atonement, would not work in this case. So the Talmud says that offerings and sacrifices will not achieve an atonement. But if it's accompanied by Torah, it will achieve an atonement. So you see that Torah has the power, and we need Torah to affect the true atonement for, for sexual sins. That's the higher level of Teshuvah. And the Talmud says that both Abaya and Rabbah, they were both descendants of Eli, and they died very young. They both died very young. Because that was the curse. Shem cursed Eli that your children are not going to... Uh... It's not at the end of the chapter. al Rebbe says at the end of the chapter. It's actually a few pages away from the end of the chapter. But in chapter... In page 18, the first chapter in Rosh Hashanah, in the tractate, he quotes this verse from Samuel the prophet, that Hashem swore, God swore that the household of Eli that uh, will not be atoned through sacrifices. 
So Rav says, with sacrifices not, but with Torah, yes. So the Talmud says, Rabbah and Abayah, both descendants of Beis Eli. Rabbah, who his whole life was engaged in Torah, and he became the leader of the academy. He lived 14 years, 40 years, I'm sorry, 40 years. He passed away at the age of 40. Abaya, however, Abaya, who engaged in Torah but also was engaged in good deeds and kindness, he was also involved in goodness and in doing good deeds, he lived 60 years, which also wasn't terribly long. But he lived 50% longer than Rabbah because he had Torah together with kindness. So we see from this that through Torah, Torah achieves an atonement for, for that special category of sin. And this is really the theme, this is really the point that Alter Rebbe is trying, the whole point of this whole part of the Tanya, really addressing this issue, because it's really the most difficult issue, the most intimate issue, the most private issue, the most difficult issue to deal with. And, but this is really this really gets to the crux it really gets to the essence we're truly connected with Hashem we're not connected with Hashem if Yiddishkeit is for real or it's just we're going through the motions it's just about rituals and customs and we completely miss the whole point this is one area which you can't you know it's one area which you can't delude yourself It's a great Hasidic master his name is Rabbi David of Talna there is a, uh, a law in the Torah that if you buy something, if you sell something, you can make a mistake up until a six, a six of the value. You know, you're off by a six. So if you're off by a six, you have to return the money, but the sale, the deal is still on. If it's more than a six, then the deal is off. It means the whole thing was chicanery, the whole thing was dishonest, the whole thing was, was in a false premise. Up until the six, people can make a mistake. So he once came to a, a, a town, he came to Brud, which is known for its scholars, and they asked him, please tell us some Hasidus. He says, no, you're all Torah scholars, Talmudic scholars, let me teach you a piece of Talmud. And he took this Talmud and he interpreted because interpreted, everything in the Talmud is here to teach us about life. It's not just a financial law. We're not doing business. What does this have to do with us? So he explained. He says, a person could fool himself. You could delude yourself. No, it means you're deluded. The delusion of you're fooling yourself. You think you're getting one thing. You think you're getting a good deal and you don't know you were fooled. You were cheated. It cost you 6% more. So a person could delude himself. It's okay. Up until a sixth. Says, What's a sixth? You know the sixth attribute is the attribute of the bris. Says, Up until a person knows himself, when it comes to the, the intimate life, his sexual life, here you can no longer delude yourself. Am I a godly person? Am I not a godly person? Am I a saintly person? Am I not a saintly person? Is my Yiddish guide for real or is it not for real? Do I have a relationship with God or not? Because if a person is not in this area, doesn't follow the Torah, then you can no longer delude yourself. It means you're completely disconnected. There's not even a delu- You can't even delude yourself. Even a person who's self-delusional can't even delude themselves. You can try. 
people do today. But anyone who has a shred of honesty to himself, no longer believes. And he said, he continues, he says, what's the answer? So the answer is, it says when it comes to property, these laws don't apply. When it comes to real estate, all these laws don't apply. Because you can buy a piece of property that today is worthless, and the next day it could be sold a million dollars. People bought homes in Manhattan 20 years ago, and today it's, it went up 5,000%, you know, 30 years ago. So property, when it comes to property, all these laws don't apply. Because if a person completely humbles himself, completely humbles himself, then that's the way to do teshuva. But he's saying here, the way to do teshuva is by studying Torah, and studying Torah in a way that it completely engages you. And if you study whatever you were studying before, double what you were studying. And especially by studying the inner parts of the Torah. Because the inner parts of the Torah, by studying this part of the Tanya, the third part of the Tanya, the letter of Teshuvah, by studying the inner parts of the Torah, it engages your soul. It's like a depth charge. It engages your mind fully. It engages your being it engages your whole being because Hasidus, the soul of the Torah, addresses the whole person. So it touches your core, it touches your essence, it, 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 it engages the person fully. So, in order for a person to be pure today, in today's day and age, we can be bold enough to say that it's almost impossible without studying Hasidus. Unless a person is truly engaged in the studying of Torah, the revealed part of the Torah, to the maximum of your ability, genuinely studying Torah, and halacha, like you said earlier, the Devar Hashem, especially the halachic part of Torah, but especially in being engaged in the inner parts of the Torah. Today is Hei Av, the yard site of the Ari, the greatest Kabbalist. So it's by engaging in the inner parts of the Torah, so you can honestly say that today it's almost impossible for a person, no guarantees, but at least then you have a, 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 then it's possible, you have a fighting chance for a person to be in this area, to be fully, to be pure and to live up to the, what the Torah expects of us and demands of us in the privacy, you know, intimate life 24-7, is really only possible by studying the inner parts of the Torah. When you're fully engaged, when your mind is fully engaged, when your heart is fully engaged, when your soul is fully engaged, and your being is fully engaged, and addressed, and then you can sublimate all those powerful energies, all those raging energies and powerful energies, and then it could be sublimated in a wholesome way, in a powerful way, in a beautiful way. And... Again, the answer, the Torah's approach to sexuality, it's not about suppression. Sexuality is a gift. It's like a divine gift. It's a very special... The Talmud tells us that one of the... It was a Jew who was very, very promiscuous. He was a playboy. And it was a, it was, he took it very seriously. Actually, he would travel from town to town, from city to city, and from country to country, experimenting, trying out the latest and the best and the most beautiful. And once he heard that there was this woman who was the most, the most beautiful prostitute in the world, and she was the most expensive, but he saved up, because this is, he's going he's to conquer, this is going to be his next conquest. 
Talmud describes, she was like all the way on top, and to get to her, you have to go through a hole, and he was climbing to her bed, and his tzitzis, his tzitzis knocked at him, his tzitzis waved and hit him in the face. And he remembered, it says, you look at the tzitzis, and it will remind you of all the mitzvot, and it will protect you from sin. And he, he left. She was so insulted, she says. She was never in her life rejected by anyone. She said, are you telling me I'm not pretty enough? I'm getting old. I'm not, uh, what, uh, she was so shaken by this experience. And he said, no, you're the most beautiful <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. But the tzitzis, these are the tzitzis just hit me in the face, and I, I just can't, I can't do it. She was so intrigued, she decided to find out who, what religion this person is who is this God what religion he follows she couldn't believe it and she found and she went she found her, his rabbi and she started studying Torah and she converted needless to say she gave up her lifestyle she, she converted and then the rabbi called in the student and he said the bed that was spread out for you in a prohibited way now is spread out for you in a kosher way. And go marry her. And they married and they lived happily ever after. So the Torah, sexuality is not something we denigrate. We don't try to become monks and nuns. That's not the Jewish way. It's the holiest thing in the world. But in order for it to be divine and holy and wholesome, it's the way to negotiate and the way to do it is when we're connected to Hashem and when we are whole inside then that's also wholesome and holy and beautiful and Hashem is present and our bedroom becomes a holy of holes so I would venture to say and they can say it we can say it with a, with a whole authority and the Rabbeim said it that the only way, truly, for a person who's totally with it, down to earth, who's not blind, deaf, and dumb, and not only to resist all the temptations, but in order to have the right approach towards sexuality and, and not to have any wasteful emissions and not to have any negative relations, prohibited relations, the only way to truly deal with this powerful force that we have inside of us is only by engaging in Torah very deeply, but engaging the inner parts of the Torah, studying Hasidus, studying it very deeply, studying it in depth, fully engaging the mind. And it touches us, and when we're engaged on that level, then we can sublimate all these powerful energies within us, and then it's only expressed in a healthy way, in a wholesome way, in a kosher way, in a beautiful way. And... Um, and that leads to blessings, all the blessings in the world. We figure this one out, we figured everything out. <laughs> if we don't figure this one out, that's what you've gotten after studying chapter 9, we figured nothing out. Page 1095, a man commits a sin and is liable to death before the Almighty. So if we take, does this mean that whoever did this, if they aren't doing the higher tshuva, somebody should kill them? No, 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 it's in the hands of Hashem. 
That's what. That's why it's, 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 it's called onanism. <laughs> Onan lost his life. Hashem. Hashem took his life. Okay. So spiritually speaking, you lose your life. Oh, spiritually. You so lose someone life. who's very in tune, physically loses his life. We're not so in tune. Especially we learned earlier after the temple is destroyed, uh, we're exactly not so in tune. So therefore, we don't feel the physical effect. But anyone who's spiritually in tune could feel the physical effect immediately. Onan was so in tune that he physically died. Okay. Um, another question. What is not... What would be an example of sex that is not a wasteful admission? Or what is the... What are no, the categories it means, for example, uh, immoral, immoral uh, relations. A wasteful admission is masturbation, but illegal intimacy that the Torah prohibits. Okay, but sex with one's wife not for the purpose of having no, children oh, is acceptable? it's a mitzvah. Okay. It's a mitzvah. You see, again, that's a, that's a good point you're bringing up because we have to understand sexuality is the beautiful thing. The reason why God made that we have children as a result of being intimate with your wife is because being intimate is so beautiful, it's so precious and so special. That's why something so special happens as a result. But the husband and wife being together is an end in itself. You know, even if you can't have children, even if you post, uh, you know, post um, post menstruation, that uh, the intimacy itself. As a matter of fact, the Zohar says that every time husband and wife are together in love and in purity, after going to the mikveh, and they give birth. Even if you don't give birth to something physical, you give birth to a holy spirit, and the Zohar explains. Why is it sometimes we walk down the street and all of a sudden we feel inspired? Out of nowhere, out of the blue. It's like something enters us and we feel inspired and we want to pray and we want to do a mitzvah and we want to do good and we want to study Torah and we feel uplifted. Where is it coming from? Out of the blue. I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't preparing myself for it. The Zohar says, this is as a result because somewhere in the world a Jewish husband and wife were together in intimacy and love and they gave birth to a Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit found found the place. So, husband and wife being together is an end in itself. It's beautiful. But in in Judaism, in the Torah, sexuality is husband and wife. No extramarital, no premarital, no other relations. It's husband and wife, and two Jews together. This is the context. This is the context that the Torah gives us this context and if it's done in holiness and purity she goes to the mikvah and there's no wasteful emissions in other words the all your sexual energy is focused on your wife and not on anything else and vice versa and you're engaged you have an inner life you have a rich inner life because the reason why there's such an, uh, an excess of sexuality in today's society is because there's such an emptiness. You see, man hungers for something deep, for something real. And there's nothing out there. So instead, we have all this unhealthy outlet. So it comes out in, in, in sexuality, but in, in a negative way. But the search is very healthy. The search is coming from we're looking for something very deep that affects that will affect us very deeply. 
Everything is so superficial today. Everything is so external and skin deep that there's nothing in life that engages us. So there's a, there's a hollowness, there's an emptiness, and therefore it expresses itself in this, in this non-stop, this constant unhealthy eroticism, sexuality, which is completely unhealthy. But when a person is truly engaged and you have a rich inner life and you have a marriage and a relationship with Hashem that truly engages you and engages your mind and engages your being, when you have a rich inner life, then your sexuality could be sublimated and then your sexuality could be expressed in a healthy way in the holy context, husband and wife. And then it's beautiful. And then it's holy. God is present. The bedroom is the holy of holy. So this is not, we're not, this is not about being prudish or anti-sexual. On the contrary, Judaism celebrates sexual. We call it holy. Marriage is called holy. Usually we don't associate holiness with wine Women, we call it holy. Kiddushin. Kiddush. We call it holy. We don't. Because if it's done in the right context, if it's done properly, the way the Torah says it should be done, and when the person is truly on the right level, there's nothing holy. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing sweeter. There's nothing more divine and godly. And that's why you're able to give birth to children, which is good, divine and godly. Giving birth is completely a divine act. You're creating. You're becoming a partner with God in creation. You're creating something that's infinite, something that will outlive us and live on forever and ever. It's a family. But husband and wife are family. Husband and wife create something that's eternal. Family is forever. Because your children will live forever, ever, ever, and ever. So family is forever. So every time husband and wife are together, they're strengthening that relationship, strengthening something that's eternal. Versus all other forms of, of sexuality, especially the homosexual form of sexuality, it's, it's just in the moment. There, there is nothing eternal about it. There's nothing. There's no past. There's no present. There's no future. All it is is living in the moment. It's the ultimate denial of anything godly. That there's a godly purpose to life. That there's a godly purpose that we are godly. And sexuality is the ultimate godly act. So this is the ultimate denial of godliness. But if, if, if it's done in the holy context and it's done properly, there's nothing more ennobling, there's nothing more elevating, there's nothing more spiritual, there's nothing more godly, there's nothing more beautiful. If people knew the power of the mikvah, if people knew the power of... Uh, they would be lining out, out there would be lines around the block. Because <laughs> what happens is everyone is jaded today with the excessive... Sexuality has become reduced to nothing. Everyone is so overexposed. They become completely jaded. When you live a life of the Torah, you, you never become jaded. When anything goes and you can do anything, it's fun. The first time, it's fun. But then the second time, it's not as much fun. The third time, you, you just, it just bores you. And then you grow jaded. And then, okay, what? I now have to push the envelope. Now I need to do something more radical and do something crazier and something, something painful or something crazy, eroticism. And if in the context of the Torah, it never loses, it never loses its luster, it never loses, it's always accompanied with soul, with love, something deeper. And nothing erratic could match the love between husband and wife and there's a genuine respect and love, the attraction, the feeling. You can't compare I mean, all these um, 
all these rated R movies are, I mean these, these X movies are actually very low level they're rated at a very low level they're not even interesting there's no it's, it's, it's yes it's skin deep anything goes but it, it robs you of the ability to be intimate it robs you of the ability to truly experience true satisfaction when it's done in the context of Torah of holiness there's nothing more exciting there's nothing more thrilling there's nothing more pleasurable there's nothing more fulfilling there's nothing more wholesome that's the secret that nobody knows that's the secret of the Jewish people the secret of our survival is our families that's our strength that's our secret the mikvah the homes the family the bedroom the, the husband and wife family, you know if, if people only knew but that's, that's for that you have to study Torah, you have to study Hasidus, you have to study, get to the intimate part of Torah, the depth of Torah, the core, the essence of Torah, the soul of Torah. And that's the secret. That's our secret. One last question before we go. Right, so here, right, spirit evokes spirit is God interacts with us. We smile, God, God smiles. You know, we're joyful, God is joyful. Here, God already gave his spirit, the Torah. That is God's spirit. God put, invests his, himself into the Torah. So when you deeply engage in the Torah, it's like a kiss. Your spirit connects with the spirit of Hashem. And Hashem is studying Torah with you. You're engaged in the same thing that engages Hashem. Hashem is engaged and occupied in the studying of Torah. This is what Hashem is engaged with. Not with the... So when you study Torah deeply, your spirit engages in the spirit of Hashem. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.